So did you know that back in the early, early, early days of Rome, March 1st was actually the beginning of the year. This was just the way that their calendar worked a really long time ago. So March 1st was the beginning of the year and it started in the spring and then there were 10 months in the year and when it got to winter, there were no months. It just was this kind of like soup of monthless time and then March 1st again and it was a new year. I think that makes a lot of sense, honestly, and I kind of wish it was that way because then, of course, some jerk came along and said, no, I'm gonna invent January and February and now January 1st is the beginning of the year. So now we've got this, this whole circumstance where it's a new year, new beginnings, hope and life and resolutions and we're gonna make some changes and then we go right into the dead of winter, right? And so all of a sudden we're, you know, we've got all this hope and then our hope shrivels and our resolutions fall apart and we forget the feel of the warmth of the sun on our face. Anyway, Happy New Year, uh, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to 2020. It's the 20s. It's the, the roaring 20s. I really hope uh, that this time around, roaring is just a positive use of the word roaring uh, for this decade. So we are starting this new series and it's called Relief. Because even though, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of joking about how you know, rough New Year's can be, the reality is that we are, collectively, as a culture, as a, as a community, we're living in a pretty tough time. We need some relief. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus that he shared with his disciples when they needed some relief, uh, when they were facing an anxious and a, and a painful and a chaotic time. This series uh, is going to be important for us because even though the words that we're going to read were Jesus speaking to his disciples, as we're going to see, these are actually words that were directed just to us as well. These are the words that were left for all who would follow after these disciples uh, because they were not the only ones facing anxiety and fear and, and doubt. We are as well. So my hope is that over these next few weeks, we are going to find hope and joy and life and strength as we head into 2020, even if this uh, beginning of the new year starts out a little bit cold and gray. I think this is going to be a really important series. So let's dive in. We're going to start right away by looking at uh, John 14, starting in verse 22. Now that's going to be page 896 in the House Bibles in the seat in front of you, or you're welcome to use the app, the Grace app, or you can use your own Bible or Bible on your phone or whatever you want. Um, by the way, if you're watching online, hello, it's good to see you. Hope you're doing well on this. Uh, this Sunday morning. Now, uh, before I read this, I want to give you just a little bit of context because we're kind of coming right into the middle of a story. John, in his gospel, he devotes a, a very large amount of time to a specific meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. It's the last meal that he had with them before he was crucified. Now, all four gospels talk about the Last Supper, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about it, but in John, he dedicates an entire quarter of his book just to this meal just to the things that happened and the things that Jesus said during this meal. It's a really important thing to John. And when you read the Gospel of John as a whole, you realize why. Because John is writing this Gospel and he is intending to, to set up the church, all of the, the disciples who would come after these initial disciples, set them up for success. He wanted them to be able to be equipped for how to live a Christ-following life in a broken world. And so he intended to make sure that these words of Jesus would last as a legacy for all who would come after him. So uh, 
Real quick, is, as far as the, the Last Supper so far has gone, uh, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, which was a totally shocking and unexpected thing. Um, and then he begins to tell them that he's leaving. He says, I am going to be leaving you. And of course, the disciples are a little bit distraught by this. They're, they're like, wait a second, where are you, where are you going? And, and can we come with you? And what, what's happening? And so Jesus, uh, he begins to answer some of their questions, including this one. So look at verse 22. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. All right, we're gonna stop there today. So this passage it starts out with Judas asking a question. And this poor guy, Judas, is not the same Judas as the one who betrayed Jesus. And I, the guy had to go through the rest of his life introducing himself as like, hi, I'm Judas. Not, not that Judas. No, the, the, other, the other Judas, right? All of his, poor guy. Anyway, Judas, not that Judas, has, asks a question. And it's a, it's a pretty fair question. He says, in verse 22, he says, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us? and not to the world at large. In other words, Jesus, you've spent all this time building into us and teaching us and showing us that you are the Messiah. So now, if you leave, we're the only ones who know about it. We're the only ones who are gonna know who you really are. Everything seemed to be building to this moment, Jesus, but now, what, all of a sudden, you're just, you're out, you're gone? So Jesus answers him, but his answer, as you saw, is a little bit, it's indirect. It's indirect. He says, all who love me will do what I say. All right, what does he mean by that? That's a little confusing. Well, we're going to answer that question. I think we can find what he means by that. But to do that, we have to kind of work backwards. All right, we're going to go all the way to verse 27 and work our way back to see if we can find an answer to this question that Jesus is answering. Um, so let's look at that. Let's look at verse 27. Jesus tells them in that verse, don't be troubled or afraid. Now, this word troubled uh, in Greece is tarazzo, and it could easily, just as easily be translated as uh, like agitated. Don't be agitated. It's the same word for when water is being shaken up or, or, or stirred or moved around somehow. It's like, um, you know, it's like turbulent water. In, in fact, we see that in English too, because in English, turbulent comes from the same word as trouble. It's the same root. Uh, and it's kind of like the words of a whitewater raf rapids or a waterfall, okay? So imagine trouble, troubled water is, tr is water that is being uh, dashed against the rocks and shaken up and, and, and gushing back and forth completely like out of control. And Jesus is telling them, don't be troubled. When your heart is troubled, what happens to you? You're, you're swept along, right? You're, you're battered against the rocks. I can't think of a better word to describe what it feels like when you have anxiety, right? Those of you who've had anxiety attacks, you know it, it feels like you're just, you're just rushing down a river and you're, you're, you're out of control. You're trying just to keep your head above the water. 
So it's understandable, isn't it, why the disciples would be feeling troubled, why they'd be feeling a little bit out of control. I mean, everything that they knew, everything they thought they understood is about to come to an end. They, they feel this ominous change coming, but they don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, their teacher, the Messiah, he's, he's just told them that he's leaving them. I'd be terrified. I'd be, I'd be freaked out too. And yet, Jesus tells them not to be troubled, agitated, or afraid. Don't be anxious, he says. Well, why? Why, why shouldn't they be? Well, go back to the beginning of that same verse, verse 27. Here's the answer, because even though Jesus is going away, he says that he's going to leave his disciples with a gift. What is that gift? Well, peace, peace of mind and heart. So he's setting up this word peace kind of as a contrast to this word troubled. And uh, the word peace could also be translated tranquility. It's, It's the opposite of trouble. It's the opposite of agitation. In fact, the Greek word, erene, for peace, it actually is where, it's the root of where we get our word serene or serenity. Okay, so serenity versus, versus trouble. These are, when you compare this kind of peace to the rapids of trouble and agitation, peace is like, it's like a glassy mountain lake, right? It's like calm and serene and peaceful. So Jesus is giving his disciples that, He's giving them peace, not trouble, not agitation in their hearts. Okay, so that's nice, but where's this peace supposed to come from? Well, again, we're going to work backwards. Let's take another step back to verse 26. Verse 26, Jesus says, When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything I have told you. So the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is essentially saying, yes, yes, I am going away, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is going to continue my work with you. I taught you some things while I was with you, but the Holy Spirit is, through that, through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to teach you all things. This ministry is going to continue. So that's, that's Jesus' gift of, of peace, is that the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, will be within the disciples. But, well, who is the Holy Spirit, and, and what is this all about? Well, to be fair, that's kind of a complicated and theological and, and debated answer. I mean, people wonder about the Holy Spirit and have for centuries. But look back at verse 23, because we, we do know a few things for sure. Jesus says this. In verse 23, he says, My Father will love them, and we, we, will come and make our home with each of them. We'll make our home with them. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Put simply, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God in our lives. Yahweh, the creator of the the universe, taking up residence in our heart. Jesus Christ dwelling in us. That is what the Holy Spirit is. Now, look, I'll be honest. The, The concept of the Trinity, the idea of three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all also being just one God, it's hard to get your mind around, right? This is the kind of thing that you, you lie in bed at night and you can't fall asleep trying to think about this. So it is a little bit complicated, but what we see in Scripture are hints that the Spirit of God is the one who breathes life into us. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, shapes us, helps to shape us to become like Jesus in the way we live. It's the Spirit who teaches us, who, who speaks to us and gives us truth The Spirit helps us to understand God's heart for the world around us, God's heart to heal it. 
John, in his writings, he often refers to the spirit as the spirit of truth. It's kind of a unique signature of John, the spirit of truth. So this Holy Spirit within the disciples, that is the gift that Jesus is leaving with them. That spirit is the reason, according to Jesus, that they don't need to be troubled or anxious or afraid when he goes away. Because through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, he's not really going away at all. He's going to be present with them forever. In fact, through the Spirit, Jesus will be more present with them than he had ever been before. So, okay, again, a little bit complicated, but let's go back to the question that was asked by Judas, not that Judas, and see if he has, uh, see if we can understand Jesus' answer just a little bit more. So Judas, not that Judas, asks this question. Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And if I were to kind of paraphrase it, I believe Jesus' answer is basically this. I am revealing myself to the world at large. I am. I'm doing it through you. My spirit is going to take up residence in your heart. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you through the spirit everything. I'm going to remind you everything that I've taught you, and you will then reveal me to the world. Rather than being limited to this one human body, my body will become the church. My followers, with, with my spirit guiding them, they are going to go and heal the world in my name. They're going to bring my salvation to humanity. So even though, yes, I am leaving, you can have peace. You can have peace in your mind and heart because, yes, I'm going away, but I'm not going away. You don't have to be afraid because I am with you. I am with you. And I'm never leaving. So that's what Jesus says in answer to the question. But I, I try to imagine how the disciples must have felt in that moment. And it could be wrong, but I imagine that they were not particularly relieved when they heard all of this. Uh, because they had a whole bunch of really unexpected things that were about to happen to them. I mean, they just did not know what to expect. We see little hints later in the story that they were still all kinds of confused. They're betraying Jesus. They're chopping people's ears off. They don't know what's going on in the, in the moments that come after this. So they were not particularly settled and calm and tranquil and peace after Jesus shares these words. I mean, think about all the things that are about to happen to the disciples after, like in, the, in the days and, and weeks after this. First of all, their teacher, their best friend, Jesus, is about to be executed on a Roman cross. They didn't see that coming. That same executed friend is then going to be resurrected from the dead, revealing himself to, to be not just the promised Messiah king, but the very son of God. And that same son of God would then ascend into heaven after giving his disciples a mission to take his teachings to the whole world. And that same mission would then be launched, just as Jesus had promised, by the pouring out of his Holy Spirit, empowering these low-class, backwoods, nobody disciples to speak new languages, to heal diseases, to cast out demons, and to speak truth with power and insight, empowering them to be the body of Jesus in the world, to be his hands and feet. You put all that together, that is a pretty wild and unexpected series of events for these, for these poor, anxious, and confused disciples at the Last Supper. No, I don't think they necessarily knew what to even think at this point. But, but, after the fact, 
after all of these things had begun to happen, after, uh, after the mission of God began to, to become apparent, as God's kingdom was spreading and, and people were finding freedom and healing in life, as this all started to happen, well then, well then I imagine the disciples could look back on this night and remember what Jesus had taught them. And I think it took on a completely different tone. This, in my opinion, is why John captured these words. Again, it was not just to, to, to have a record of what happened for these disciples. I think he captured these words because on retrospect, after all of this had come to be, they, he understood that these words were vital, not just for the original disciples, but for everybody who would follow Jesus in the years to come. Why? Because every one of us, just like those disciples, finds ourselves in times of, of chaos, of turbulence, of, of, of trouble in our hearts, right? We all, we all find ourselves feeling anxious and confused and lost and afraid at times. We, we find ourselves trying to understand what in the world God is trying to do. Like, why is he acting in this way and not this way? We're, we're confused, we're caught up in uncertainties and doubts, and we're struggling to see how Jesus is working in our lives, right? This happens to us all. It happens to us all, which is why... We, as we head into this new year, this new decade, we really need to look back at these teachings of Jesus so that we can also find relief. So we can find relief from the things that we are facing that cause us so much turmoil. Relief from our loneliness and our isolation, right? That's a, a major issue here. We need relief from that. Relief from our, our insecurity about the future. For, for what's about to happen next, but also for eternity. We need to be relieved from, from our insecurities about what's to come. And we need relief from our feelings of insignificance, especially in the age of social media when it looks like everybody else is more important than we are. We need feelings of relief to know that we do actually matter. Well, guess what? Jesus talks about all of these things at the Last Supper. And that's what we're gonna look at for the next few weeks. We're gonna look at the kind of relief that we can find in the words of Jesus. It's gonna be a really good month. It's gonna be a really important start for this new year, for 2020. We're gonna be listening to the voice of our Savior week after week, and we're gonna hear him say these words. It's going to be okay. I'm with you this year. I'm right here. I'm right here. But today, for the, the rest of the time that we have together, I want to go back, I want to look at the kind of relief that comes for one more uh, very specific thing, specifically fear and anxiety. I want us to look a little more deeply at verse 27, because there is a relief that we can find there from the fear that we feel. So this is a troubling time, okay? Oh, we've already mentioned this. This is a, this is a whitewater rapids time in our culture. Our hearts are agitated. It, it, it feels like we are being battered against the rocks, right? Day after day. We, when we read about the disciples' fear and their anxiety, we know exactly what that feels like. We feel it too. For example, I, I, I've talked to many of you. I know that you struggle, we struggle with, with chronic anxiety, don't we? We, we are a, a, a community that is, it, it's becoming so commonplace to have panic attacks, something that maybe was, was very rare a few decades ago now is just a normal part of our life. With all the pressures of work and school and family and expectations and social media, like 
panic attacks are just normal. They're just normal for us now. But more than that, we've got social anxiety. This is the, a new phenomenon that is becoming so normal in our culture. It's, it's so hard now to, to develop healthy face-to-face -face relationships because so many of us are beset with this, this social anxiety. And then, the, of course, there's all these, these major, huge fears and anxieties that we have to deal with every day, like the threat of terrorist attacks or school shootings or, or natural disasters or war. I mean, they're, they're always right in front of us, day after day. Sometimes it's hard to even get yourself out the door, right? We're troubled. We're, we're, we're stirred up. We're turbulent in our hearts. The idea that we could ever, ever be in our hearts like that, like that calm, glassy lake, like that almost is laughable to us now in this turbulent time. And yet, Jesus tells his followers in verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. That seems hard to believe, but look what he says. He says, the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give, so don't be troubled and afraid. A gift that the world cannot give. What does Jesus mean by that? What does it mean? What, what, is, what kind of peace does the world try to give? Well, I'm sure we could brainstorm together a whole bunch of different ways that our culture and our world tries to give peace. Things like, you know, uh, self-sufficiency and, and consumerism and ultra comfort and cul-de-sacs, like all of these things that we, that our culture says are gonna bring us peace. You know, we could come up with those, but in Jesus's day, I would argue there is one really clear and obvious way that the world tried to bring peace. And it was something that the Roman Empire used to, uh, as kind of a propaganda campaign, and it was called Pax Romana, the Roman peace. I've, I've talked about this before. Roman peace was essentially this. We've brought peace on earth, everyone, and if you try to fight against us, we will murder you and your family. Like, that was peace. It was like, we're going to rule, we're going to enforce our will, enforce our peace, with an iron fist. That was the way that peace worked. Why did they kill Jesus? Why did the authorities let Jesus die? You know why? Because he was putting up too much of it. He was stirring the people up, right? It was, it was threatening the peace. And so they executed Jesus. Well, in scripture, there is another kind of peace that is contrasted with Pax Romana. And it, it shows up a lot. And it's a Hebrew word, shalom. Shalom. Shalom it does mean an absence of conflict, okay? That's, Pax Romana is like, there's no more war, right? Well, shalom does mean an end of war, but it is so much more than just that. Shalom means, means wholeness and completeness and, and harmony and joy, not just individually, but corporately. Shalom is, is uh, the world made right. It's God dwelling again with his people, Shalom is Eden. It's Eden that, that's experienced among one another and with, with the earth itself. That is what shalom is. It goes so much deeper than, than just an absence of conflict. And what I find so ironic is that the death of Jesus, the execution of Jesus for Pax Romana, that death was actually the beginning of a new kind of shalom for our world. It's surprising what the authorities meant to, to bring the peace actually did, but it brought it in a way that they never could have seen coming. Jesus brought shalom into this world. Think about it. His death, his death from that moment, it meant forgiveness for humanity, for all the shameful things that we've done. It was, it was peace from our past, like that, right then. 
His resurrection from the dead, it meant that now the door was open for harmony to exist between people who had always hated one another. Suddenly a new kind of community could be formed where there was harmony and love where there used to be hatred and and conflict. And when he gave his spirit to the disciples, when he poured out his Holy Spirit, that opened the door to life and healing and joy, all of that springing up in the midst of a world that is broken. Jesus brought shalom into this world, and it's, it's a peace, it's a stability, it's a, it's a serenity that the world could never, ever hope to match, could never replicate it. It's mind-boggling to think about how different God's peace is from that of the world. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this peace in his, his letter to the church in Philippi. He says this. He tells them, don't worry about anything, Philippians. Don't worry. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we could even possibly understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, by giving us his Holy Spirit, by by coming to take up residence within us, God made it possible for us to experience in our hearts and in our minds not just an absence of conflict, but shalom, wholeness, completeness, the world made right. Now look, Does this mean that we no longer have any problems in our life? Of course not. Of course not. The disciples themselves, they received the Holy Spirit and then they went on to be tortured and executed themselves. Most of them did. Persecuted. That that was what they had after they received the Holy Spirit. But here's what it does mean. And it meant for them and it it means for us. It means that we no longer have to fear death. We don't have to be anxious about the future because we know that God has us. Our hearts do not have to be troubled and anxious and buffeted because our lives are now wellsprings of shalom. With the spirit within us, we don't just receive shalom. We become the ones who bring it into this world. We're the source of it because the spirit is breathing through us. That is why we don't have to be troubled and afraid. Do we ever understand every aspect of God's plan Absolutely not. We don't. Not not in this life. We will not understand his entire plan. His plan, just like Paul says, it exceeds anything that we could understand. But we now can have confidence that he is working. God's presence within us, his, his spirit opens the door to a kind of peace which looks nothing like the conflict-avoiding, comfort-seeking, reality-denying peace that the world tries to offer us. God's spirit, his Holy Spirit within us, allows us to say with full confidence, you are here, you're here, and I know that you are gonna carry me. That's the kind of peace that stills the the troubled waters of our self-sufficiency. That's the kind of peace that soothes the buffeting of our anxious souls. That's the kind of peace that brings true relief. You are here. You're here. You're working. And I'm not alone. Now, I realize all of this is all pretty heady 
and, and, and theological, right? These are, these are deep concepts. This is intense stuff. Uh, I'm sure some of you probably either you saw on the app or something the topic for today, and you were really hoping for like a five, top five list of life hacks for how to overcome anxiety. That's not what this is, obviously. But I do want to leave you with something a little practical. I want to give you two tools for ways that in your life you can actually begin to, to implement some of these concepts, which are so huge, okay? Tool number one is this. If you've not yet done this, I want to, no, I was going to say encourage, I'm going to challenge you to sign up for Rooted, for this winter session in Rooted. See, one of the, the beautiful things about the way that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts is that it's not an individualistic thing. It's not just you and God. It happens through community. When we are in community with other believers, what we find is that we see the Holy Spirit in them. They are hearing the Holy Spirit and they are able to speak into our lives even as we speak into theirs. The Holy Spirit enlivens the community and it, it, it multiplies the effect of God's presence in our midst. If you're going into 2020 and you're alone, you're isolated, you're lonely, you don't have people who know you, who don't care about you, who don't, if you don't have that kind of community, now is the time to find it. Don't wait till the spring. Don't wait till some other time when it's a little more convenient. Do it now. Go into 2020. I know Rooted is a lot. It's challenging. It's a big commitment. But if you go into that, you are going to come out the other side with people who know you, who love you, who care about you, who actually are longing for, for your well-being in this world. Find community. You don't have to go through this journey alone. Not only is God's spirit with you, but this church is with you. Sign up for Rooted. That's number one. Number two, we're going to give you a, a little tiny gift. It's a very small thing. It's a little, little plastic key fob, and it has the, the series logo, Relief, on the front, and it's got John 14, 27 on the back. The piece I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled and afraid. And this happened, I promise it was not intentional, but this logo with the whole paint behind it, it, it looks to me like water that's being stilled. And that was totally not on purpose. I think God may have been orchestrating that with our graphic team on purpose, just as a little graphic reminder of the idea of these turbulent waters of our heart being stilled by the peace of the Holy Spirit. So here's why this is a, a, one of the tools. It's because I think this can be a really powerful, simple reminder for you. I want you to do something with this when you get this in a few moments. I want you to put this somewhere that you're going to see it often. Maybe your keychain, I mean, it's got a little hole on it. Maybe your mirror in the bathroom, somewhere that you're going to see it on a regular basis. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to use this as a reminder that God's spirit is right here. That God's presence, that Jesus Christ is here within you. So here's how I want you to do that. When you see this, whether it's on your keychain or whatever, if you're able to, like don't do this while you're driving, but close your eyes. You can also do this with your eyes open if you need to, but close your eyes, take a breath, and just in your mind say these three words. You are here. You are here. Let's try it. Let's try it together, okay? Let, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And say in your mind, you are here. Is this going to solve all your problems? No. No. 
It can't do that. This is just a piece of plastic, but here's what it can do. It can remind you that you're not alone. It can remind you that the Spirit is within you. And it can remind you that there is relief from your anxiety. There is relief from your fear of the future. There is relief because God has not abandoned you. Jesus has not left you. He's right here.